and welcome to the MBOM podcast, where you'll learn to master the business of yoga. MBOM is a proud part of the Wander Barn Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Amanda Kingsmith. I'm a 500-hour registered yoga teacher, a yoga business coach, and a total business geek. Here at MBOM, you'll learn everything you need to know to create a sustainable yoga business by learning from myself and guests from around the world about how they built their yoga businesses and about how you too can become a successful yoga teacher, studio owner, and much more. All right, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the MBOM podcast. I hope that everyone is having a really beautiful day and a great week. And I just wanted to start this episode by sending love out to everyone who's listening wherever you are. I know it's a really, really crazy time right now in the world, and there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of scary things going around. And, you know, every time I turn on the TV or the news or check my social media, I feel like I'm just totally bombarded with. COVID-19 things, and it's really hard to get away from it. And one of the things that I have been really thinking about is how I can support you, how I can support yoga teachers and really gear my content towards what is going to serve you best as we navigate this new yoga teaching online world. And that is partly why I'm super excited for today's episode of the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Corey Sterling, who is the founder of Conscious Council. And he is a lawyer and a yogi, and he is also the author of a book called The Yoga Law Book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. And when we first booked this interview a little while back, we had planned to just talk about the legal side of yoga, but being the fact that we're currently in this global pandemic and we're social distancing and there's a lot of craziness going around, we decided to gear this episode really towards the legal side of the online world. So obviously a lot of us have had to make 180s or 360s with our yoga businesses and it's been a ton of work and there's a lot to take into account and a lot of learning curves, but the legal side is also super important. So Corey and I are going to dive into a lot of what you need to know as either a yoga teacher or a yoga studio owner when it comes to offering your classes online. And Corey has also generously offered to give a copy of his book away. So I will tell you more details about that at the end of the episode. And before we get to that, just a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Offering Tree. If you're looking to get your yoga classes online in a hurry, I recommend checking out Offering Tree. They make it easy to schedule and take payments for online classes with Zoom, Skype, YouTube, and other video conferencing tools. Offering Tree set out to make creating your digital presence fun, easy, and affordable. With one account, you can create a website in minutes with email marketing tools to collect email addresses, allowing you to send newsletters and automated emails to your subscribers. It all works seamlessly together with one account and one subscription. Forget spending all your time and energy just trying to remember what each account does and what your login information is. On top of that, Offering Tree has an embedded scheduling feature, so if you already have a website that you love, you can use it for online payments and scheduling. To learn more about what Offering Tree can do for your digital presence, visit offeringtree.com forward slash mbm. Offering Tree has been supporting MBM for over a year now, and I not only love the product, but I also love the people. 
Offering Tree is providing special pricing for MBM listeners. So be sure to visit offeringtree.com forward slash MBM. That's offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM to receive the discount. All right, now on to the episode. Corey, welcome to the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you here with me today. I'm so excited. Thank you for for having me. It's great to be here together. Yeah, absolutely. And you're down in Brazil right now. Where in Brazil are you joining me from? I'm in the state of Bahia. I'm in a beach town called Caraiva. My current location is Pusada Forte, which means strong roots in Portuguese. And we have a total of zero doorbells in the town of Caraiva. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I've been to Bahia before. I've been to uh, Salvador uh, six years ago. How was it? It was beautiful. Amazing. The culture is so awesome there. I loved Brazil. Yeah. Salvador's great. Bahia is like, Bahia is a special uh, Brazilian state because it's sort of the laid back. It's like the California-ish of, uh, of Brazil. So like when things always take a really long time, like when you order food, it takes a long time. People forget stuff and they're just like, oh, it's Bahia. Don't worry. And I was like, I want to live there. So yeah, that's what's that's up. Awesome. That's, that's I, why I'm here. I love, I love that. I mean, I could just spend this whole time talking about travel with you since that's my other love outside of yoga, but diving into the yoga side of things, can you tell me a little bit about your background, your yoga story and everything that's happened, you know, kind of up until this point with your yoga business? Firstly, that was very direct, and I, I will know not to talk about Bahia or Brazil any, or travel any longer. <laughs> Thank you for putting me in my place. It's like, thanks, Corey, but stop. Um, you know what? Yoga, you know what? That was mostly for me. <laughs> that was like, okay, hey, Amanda, cool. which which podcast are you on right now? You're on your yoga Amanda, business podcast. <laughs> awesome. Let's go, Amanda. Let's do it. So, um, for yoga, for yoga and yoga business, I, I, um, when I was in law school, I did a semester at the University of Victoria in Victoria, BC. And I had never practiced yoga up to then. And I I remember I wrote a buddy of mine an email and I was like, he he had lived in Victoria. And I was like, hey, dude, what do I do when I'm in Victoria? And he's like, bro, you got to go, bro. He's like, bro, bro, you've got to go. You've got to go do yoga. There's so many great studios there. And I was like, "Ah, I don't really know. And then I just found a hot yoga studio and I was like completely hooked. Um, And then I just loved it. And I was practicing all the time. Uh, And then I would travel and go to different studios and, and yoga was when I was articling um, in Vancouver, British Columbia, at a big law firm, like yoga saved my life. I was doing yoga five times a week just because the work was really stressful and the hours were demanding. And at the same time, there was a teacher named Reno at One Yoga in Vancouver. And he was like the first real, like my first real teacher who opened me up to mindfulness and consciousness. And he turned me on to Alan Watts and Krishnamurti and all of these guys. And it's just been a, a beautiful journey ever since then. Uh, two years ago, I went to India. I lived in an ashram for a month and I completed a yoga teacher training there. And I've taught a little bit, but um, from a more professional side, I started the Muskoka Yoga Festival. Muskoka is a region in Ontario. I started the Muskoka Yoga Festival. Now it's four years ago. I'm no longer involved, but I built a festival with my, um, my then partner, my then business partner, Ashley Boone because we just loved yoga festivals. I was going to Wanderlust all over the place. I was speaking at Wanderlust about yoga law. And I just thought, why not, why not make, um, make a festival? And in addition to that, while all of these things are happening and like, I'm loving yoga, I'm living my life. I was building my law practice called Conscious Counsel. That's the name of the firm. 
Um, and just like it started because originally all of my friends, a lot of my friends in Vancouver were just yogis and didn't have any idea what was going on. And I was like, oh, yoga professionals don't really understand anything about the law for the most part, excuse me, for the most part. Um, so then I've just been doing a lot more speaking at different conferences or festivals. And I wrote a book called the yoga law book, legal essentials for yoga professionals, which talks about in a very practical, simple, basic way, how the law applies to a yoga professional. And I share story with all of my clients and, um, and now it's just, it's just growing and growing and growing. So, uh, but to, to summarize everything, um, I, yoga changed my life. It transformed the way uh, that I, I look at everything that happens in my life and, you know, um, awareness to things that are happening. And I also love, I, the other reason why I've done this is that I, I get along really well with people who are, who practice yoga and yoga teachers. And I just thought, okay, if I'm starting a law firm and I get to choose my clients, I might as well choose awesome people. And that's my story in three minutes. <laughs> I love it. That's a lot in three minutes. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it's cool to hear your story connected to, you know, places that I've been as well. Are you from Ontario originally or where's home originally? I was born in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm a lifelong, lifelong Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Okay. <laughs> I'm a lifelong Calgary Flames fan. So <laughs> maybe we're not friends Let's, after all. <laughs> no, no. This is where you have to do your podcast thing where you're like, okay, Corey, this is a yoga professional podcast. We're not talking about NHL hockey. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Let's. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's cool to hear though from somebody who's, you know, from a, a similar area of the world that I'm in because I've actually had Reno on the podcast before. I'm assuming you're talking about Reno Muniz. Yes, and I, I the reason why I didn't say his last name because I never knew if it's Munz or Munez. It's M. I feel like it's M U E or M E U N Z. And I mm -hmm. just like I'll just I just call him Reno because I he yeah. But yeah, that's that's the same Reno. I love Reno. Reno changed my life. Amazing, I love it, and I think that it's really awesome to hear how your passion for yoga has blended with you know your your background in law. And I can definitely relate. I mean, I can relate in some ways because having a business background and a business degree coming out of yoga teacher training, I was like, oh, there's so much cool stuff with the business side of yoga. And I realized quickly that so many yoga teachers were like, not interested in that, not as as dorky about it. But then I also understand from the yoga teacher perspective, because going into the legal side of things is totally not my forte. I'm like, wait, I have to do this. This is like a, a law thing that I have to abide. Oh, right. I have to have insurance for these things. So it's an important part of the business side of yoga. But to be very candid, the legal side is not necessarily the thing that I'm super passionate or super great at. So I'd be curious to know, you know, what are some of the top things that yoga teachers need to know from the legal side of things? What yoga teachers need to know is always changing. And an example of if you and I were to have recorded this three weeks ago versus recording it now, what we would be talking about would be completely different. And, and I think that's just a testament to, you know, how law is ever changing and society is ever changing that the needs, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that the needs of what yoga professionals need are always changing. So in, in a very basic sense, um, the biggest issues usually will be, will revolve around liability and liability is another word for responsibility um, at law. So what happens is you're a yoga teacher or you're, you're, you're a yoga studio owner, or you run a teacher training or you run retreats or whatever, and you have all these different relationships. And the whole point, what, what I try to coach clients on is 
communicate expectations in those relationships openly and honestly. And if you can do that, like you're way ahead of the game, most of the problems that I've seen with my clients are things that come up because people use someone else's agreement or they didn't understand anything or they didn't communicate something beforehand. And as a result, they get into hot water and then things escalate or get worse and, and, and it's an issue. But I think first and foremost, you'd have to talk about liability. And liability, again, so it basically means like your exposure to risk or your exposure to being responsible. Um, at law, there's something called a duty of care. And a duty of care basically means that if someone is, if you, if you are facilitating an experience or an activity for someone, the law implies a certain standard of how you have to take care of them. And that's basically like, you have to make sure that they're going to be safe and okay and, not, and they're not going to get hurt. Um, and, and what happens is, in, in yoga, what, what you want to do is, in this particular relationship, you want to have people release you of liability, which we, we call it a waiver or a release. Um, and when you have a, a waiver or a release of liability, it's someone who's practicing yoga with you saying like, hey, I understand that the law normally says that I can sue you if something goes wrong or if you make a mistake and I get hurt, or even if I get hurt without you making a mistake, but I'm signing this document. And as a result of signing this document, um, I'm, I'm, I do not hold you responsible for anything that happens. So you are not liable. You're not responsible for what happens to me. And I think if, if, if we're talking about a yoga teacher, the biggest thing that a yoga teacher has to think about is having a, a good waiver of liability and also having really good insurance. Um, the whole thing about insurance, like I won't get into it too much, but the whole point of insurance is like you pay someone a certain amount of money and in case something goes wrong in your business and you get sued, hopefully insurance is going to cover it. Now, the, one of the most, quest most common questions that I'll get will be like, oh, will my insurance cover me for this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. You should call your insurance provider. So I guess that's my cue to tell everyone who's listening. Um, if, if you have insurance and you're curious whether or not your insurance covers you for something, just call your insurance broker. You might have to wait on the line for 10 minutes. You can, you can do handstands. You can do whatever it is that you want while you're waiting. And when someone who has your policy in front of you and understands your policy is answering questions, just basically tell them everything that you're doing or that you plan to do, where you plan to do it, and what you're covered with. Um, and that's like, that's a really simple, basic way to make sure one of the, the most obvious and the lowest hanging fruit um, is, uh, is taken care of for you. So I think the first, so basically in summary of this, the first thing that yoga teachers or yoga professionals should think about is both liability and insurance together. And I just say that because that's where the greatest risk is. All of the other things, <clears throat> and there are quite a number of, of, of other things, and I don't want to overwhelm anyone, but um, all of the other things usually have to do with the relationships that you have. And each different type of relationship will have different rules. And I totally get how like, you're not stoked on the law thing. And I don't think you necessarily have to be. But if you if you can sort out like level, let's call it level one, level one is waivers and insurance. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that, you know, this is the type of stuff that I think yoga teachers often don't, <laughs> you know, go into yoga teacher training, feeling, I guess, super jazzed up about. They're not like, hey, I want to pick an insurance company. Maybe some are, but I think most aren't. But it's this thing that you have to have. It's so important because if something happens in your class and somebody sues you, I mean, that's going to, for I think for most, especially like independent yoga teachers and small 
yoga businesses and small yoga studios, like that could destroy your business. So it's so important to know about that. It is. And, and there's two things. And the first thing I'll say, like in a completely shameless plug, but only because I know there's great information in it and it's written in a really wonderful, like happy, non-intrusive way. Um, the book that I wrote, the whole point of the book is like, I go through the different areas of law people need to be aware of. And then I share a story with one of my clients and a mistake that one of my clients made that like, if you just read that book and you're aware of those mistakes, you're so far ahead of the game where you would be otherwise. So you, you can go to Amazon. It's called of the yoga law book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. And just like the book is, yeah, it's a great way to convey all of this information, not in like this super heavy way. But the other thing that I want to share it is that you have to look, if you are a yoga professional and you accept that this is something that you are going to do for your livelihood, if, if you're a teacher and you teach at a studio and you do it once or twice a week, um, I think a lot of maybe a lot of this conversation may not apply, but I think if it's something that you're realistically looking at building a community around building your business around putting so much time and energy, you have to accept the inevitability that you will deal with the law. You cannot be a small business owner in anywhere in the world that I know of, but especially in North America, you cannot be a small business owner and grow your business and have a successful business without at some point interjecting with the law. So the whole idea between working with a lawyer and, and wrapping your head about the law, I'm like, I agree. Some, a lot of people aren't going to be like, oh my God, I get to pick my insurance today. This is amazing. <laughs> um, most people, most people aren't going to be like that. But once you realize that using this and working, working with this actually helps you achieve your goals and helps you grow your community and helps you have a bigger impact. That's where there should be a fire where that's ignited, where you're like, yeah, I want this. I I'm like, I understand that I don't know anything about this before, but I'm really excited to learn about this because for example, you know, when I, when I make sure that I own all of my intellectual property, when I know that I've probably pro properly secured all of my ideas and, you know, if I've trademarked something and blah, 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 like, oh, cool. Then I get to grow my business and more people get to interact with it. And I get to share my message and, and my gift with the world. So that's what I say to people. Like, I agree with you. The, the first two years of my business, I hated my accountant and my bookkeeper. Well, I, I, did I hate them? No, not personally. But I was just like, oh, another email from the accountant. Do I have to do this? Like the day before taxes are due, doing everything. And then I just, I don't know, I was listening to a podcast one day where someone's like, look, if you want to grow a business and have a great life and you want your business to support you, you're going to some degree, you're going to have to understand your numbers or at least you're going to have to understand what your professional is telling you. And like, for me, that was a light switch where I was like, okay, cool. Accounting. Like now I can get behind this. How do I get myself passionate and, and, and excited? Not because I love numbers or I love spreadsheets, which I've actually both I've, I've never used a spreadsheet. I've never made a spreadsheet and I won't talk about spreadsheets, even though I'm talking about them now. Um, <laughs> but I just realized like, okay, this, this is a tool for me to uh, live my dream life and live in Bahia. And because of that, like, okay, I, I can get around it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I definitely hear all of that. And I think that you brought up some really, really good, important points. And one thing that I'm curious about is, so talking about waivers and insurance, what do people need to know when it comes to waivers? Like you mentioned before, maybe not just like copying somebody else's agreement. Like can people download templates off the internet or what do you need to know about a waiver to make sure that it actually is like a proper waiver? 
There, I what I'm going to do is I'm I'm happy to share with you the elements of a of a good waiver of liability. Um, do not I every anyone who's listening anything that I share like consult a legal professional before taking action. That's a disclaimer that I have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is what I'll say like in in a very real sense I read a lot of lot of crappy crappy waivers and I'll tell you and before I'm before I get into the elements of a waiver which I'm so looking forward to do I need people need to understand the practical aspect of how law works and this is how law works someone gets hurt they're unable to go to work they have to support their family they've tried a couple of things originally they love you they they're your student blah 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 but there's a point where they're like okay it's either i'm not going to be able to support my family or i need to hire a lawyer and try to get money from the lawyer's perspective what happens is especially before anyone like officially sues the other one you go through a process of demand letters being exchanged so what a demand letter is is like someone writing one lawyer writing another lawyer and being like hey your client totally messed up this is this is why they did everything wrong in their entire life and why they're an awful person and this, this is the amount of money you're going to have to pay us does that make sense mhm yeah cool so then for me as and i've been on both sides i've written those letters and i've responded to those letters and what matters at law is what matters is what you are able to prove it doesn't really matter always what happened it's it's always going to come down to evidence and the reason why i say all of this is like as a lawyer i have both i've i've sued someone else and i've challenged a waiver and i've been like this is why the waiver sucks a b c d e for all of these reasons the waiver should not apply it won't apply a judge would tell you it won't apply and you still have to pay us this money conversely when i'm defending for a client they're go- they're going to say something to me and i'm going to say look your client signed this waiver for the for a b c d and e these are all the reasons why it's a great waiver why it's going to stick and why you have absolutely no claims so please stop writing us otherwise we're going to counter sue you whatever so all i want to say is like it's it, it is a document that people sign but you have to understand the practical use and the practical use is that god forbid and i just knocked on a piece of wood god forbid something happens it's either you're going you're going to try to enforce it or you're going to try to question it So in maybe in the first 6 months of my practice I would I would take waivers from people and I would edit them and fix them up and I'm just like this is stupid so many of these waivers are so poorly written and are copied from the internet and I have a whole chapter in the book about why you shouldn't copy agreements from the internet and if you have a chance it's it's helpful to read um also as an aside you can go to yogalawbook.com there's a free chapter we have up and that chapter is on waivers of liability so you can do that that now yogalawbook.com and then you get a free chapter of the book and then you can learn about waivers a bit more specifically but all i want to say is like i stopped editing and fixing bad waivers because it's just easier to do it from scratch and make sure that you have everything correctly so now i'm so that's just like my whole thing about the reason i'm going to tell you what needs to be in a waiver but the biggest problem i see and even yesterday yesterday i got two copies from fitness professionals they're actually not yoga but they have gyms they sent me the waivers they're using and they're garbage and i was like look if i was opposing counsel i would tear this apart and and that's like that's that's just the reality and and they're like oh i have something like something's good but it's like mm-hmm. yeah if you actually need to use it something doesn't really help so here are the elements the big and the big picture perspective for waivers of liability that you have to keep in mind is someone is signing away their legal rights 
So all, mostly all the other agreements that you have for your business have to do with you and someone else entering into a relationship and you organizing those, the rights and the, you know, the rights and the terms of that relationship. A waiver is a different ballgame because someone is saying, I am legally signing away my rights to hold you accountable for what happens when you and I are together and I am learning yoga from you. So the law has a different policy about this. And the policy is like, okay, cool. We are going to let people sign away their rights. But in order to do so, like it has to be mega clear. It has to be super, super mega clear exactly what the people are doing together, what the risks of doing that are, what can materialize from those risks. Once someone understands all of those things, like, hey, we're going to be doing this. This is what can possibly go wrong. When those things go wrong, this is how your life can be changed. These are the injuries that you can suffer. Once someone is super clear on that, they say, okay, cool. I understand the risks and I voluntarily agree to participate in this activity. Like, You've been super upfront with me. You've told me everything. And in doing so, um, I still agree to sign my rights away to you. I affirm that I'm healthy enough to participate. I've, I've sought medical advice to know that I'm healthy enough to participate. And I release you. I release your contractors. I release your employees. I release anyone related to you providing the service from any legal responsibility. So those are the elements. It's like, what are the activities that, are you, that you're doing? What are the risks of the activities? What are the outcomes from those particular risks? Understanding all of that, someone still volunteers to participate. They affirm that they're healthy enough, and then they release you from any liability. And I'm just going to add a little point on here. And that point is, um, what, with everything that's transpired in the past two weeks, all of these yoga teachers and fit and yoga studios and fitness teachers and fitness studios are all streaming their content. So everyone's making a virtual studio and they're practicing there. The, mm-hmm. the biggest issue that has emerged from this from that I've seen as a lawyer is that all of these studios had waivers of liability that outline the risks and outline the activities, but the, all of those deal with someone coming into your studio or you, you know, observing someone practicing and having that particular type of relationship. But the the reality is the risks of someone practicing on their own are different without supervision in in a space outside of the studio are very different than the risks of someone practicing in your studio. So I've just been working nonstop changing all of these waivers. Um, For all of our clients, we change them for free. And then I've had some new clients who are like, okay, I need my waiver updated. Um, But that's just an example of how it's, how what you need is always changing. And now everyone's streaming all of their classes. So the activities are different and the risks are different, which is why the waivers need to be updated. That's a lot of information. Does that land? Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's great. And that's actually what I wanted to ask you next, because I think that, you know, just looking at everything that's happening right now, as people get stuff online, I, you know, there's lots of studios that are still using their booking software, which if you have a new student come through, you know, mind body online, at least I can speak to you. And I think, you know, punch pass and some of those other ones, they have like a waiver that you can sign as a new student there. But if you're just streaming on, you know, Instagram live or Facebook live, you don't even know who's there. So (laughs) like, how do you kind of deal with that situation? Like, is it even within the legal scope of a yoga teacher to do that? So what I what what we what we do at our firm is that we we draft disclaimers for people. 
So if you're practicing, let's say you haven't, you have your IGTV or you have a YouTube channel or whatever it is that you do. It's always really good to have a disclaimer that you put out before the class, like type it out, make sure it's in the message body of whatever people are looking at. And the first thing you should do when you start your class is like, Hey, we're, I'm, I'm teaching yoga. You're doing this at your own risk. I'm not making any you know, particular promises about benefits. Do not push your body, listen to yourself and just like something that protects you. But I have to be completely honest in saying that um, one of the, one of the biggest challenges is like, I don't have that answer about mm-hmm. Instagram live. Let's say I don't because like I, it hasn't gone in law. There needs to be a test case. Right. And I can tell you that of all in yo- yoga is like a minnow. It's the smallest minnowiest minnow of, of, of everything that's happening, but there hasn't been a test case where a judge has had to preside over that question of, is someone liable for doing an exercise video online? So I don't, or from the research I've done, I've not found that I've not found that case. And I don't think that there is. So it's a tough question because you're right. Like a, you don't want to be exposed to liability, but B you want to be making sure that you're, that you're covered. So what for me, best practice in a very practical sense, and again, consult a legal professional to everyone who's listening, but put a disclaimer on and just be upfront with people and be like, Hey, I'm doing this because I want you to stay active while all of us are staying at home. Um, and you know, we're stuck in our houses and I want you to move and breathe and whatever, but like, you know, you're doing it at your own risk. I make no representations about the quality of teaching that I, that I provide and like, make sure you're safe and listen to your, to your body. It's, it's an unsatisfying answer, but it's the reality. No, I mean, I think that I'm not totally surprised by that answer because I think that in a lot of ways, like the kind of the the realm we're in right now, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of other industries, it's kind of all new unchartered territory. I mean, never before have we been given, you know, 24 to 72 hours to take our businesses online with a like, hey, you can't meet in groups anymore. And I think that that's put a lot of studios and a lot of teachers in kind of a small panic and they're just doing their best to continue their offerings in whatever way they can. And I think that the technology side of things can be so overwhelming that I think a lot of people aren't even thinking about the legal side of things, which of course we need to be. But I think that, you know, at least a disclaimer to start with and consulting, you know, your legal, your legal, um, professional is is really good advice to to start with. I'm curious like with the insurance side of things and I know this has been a big conversation in my private Facebook community is you know all these yoga teachers now are I think we're like a week into this pretty much and they're all trying to figure out what insurance will cover them online and it seems like that's a very tricky thing as well and I know you said call your insurance provider and I think yes. that's great advice but do you have any other kind of tips with that? Do you know of any insurance providers that do help with that do provide no. online insurance? I've, I've, I've spoken at Toronto. I was supposed to speak at Toronto yoga show uh, and conference, which unfortunately got canceled, got canceled, but I've been to a couple of yoga conferences where I found accounting. There's never been another yoga lawyer there, um, mm-hmm. but there are yoga um, insurance people. And I've like, I've always followed up with them. I'm like, Hey, like, let me know what you cover and blah, blah, blah. And it just like never works. It's never works. So unfortunately my answer is no, but the, if anyone is curious, the most, the only, you only have to do one thing, call your insurance provider and make sure that you're covered for this. And if you're not understand what you are or not covered are not covered for. And if you're not covered for online, like go to Google and type in yoga online practice insurance and like 
insurance is the easiest piece to figure out. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you're calling your provider and asking those questions. Yeah, actually, I'm actually covered. That, I'm uh, and this is Canadian, of course, but I'm covered with Arthur J. Gallagher. And they've been really awesome. They sent out an email that said like, hey, we're going to extend, you know, normally it costs extra to cover like online live recorded classes and they're extending it through, you know, a number of their teachers who are paying at a certain level, I think, to the end of May. So if anyone's Canadian and you need to cover online, look up Arthur J. Gallagher. And they've been really awesome for me at the very least and given me some peace of mind to know what I'm covered under. And I I did the exact same thing that you're talking about. Like before putting all my classes online, it's like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm covered to do this. And if I'm not, that I'm making some sort of disclaimer just because... I mean, the last thing you want when you're already... you know, Maybe your studio's closed and you can't teach in person and you're losing clients and maybe you can't charge as much is to have somebody turn around and say, hey, I, I don't know, sprained my ankle and I'm suing you. Well, yeah, that's the, if, for, yes, that is the worst thing. That that is a bad. I mean, a sprained ankle, the damages. As a lawyer, I'm like, okay, what's the injury? What would the damages be? So, sprained ankle <laughs> wouldn't be that bad. But the, there's two things just to say about it. And like, and I'm all I I practice hard leading law. Like, it's called conscious counsel. It's about being a lawyer and a real person. So, I by no means does fear mongering mix in with anything that I do or that I practice. But these, the, the one thing to remember is like. Just as no one, three weeks ago, no one could have predicted where we are now. Like, that's how it works. And that's why you need to be protected. Because, like, you never really know what's going to happen. And also, like, another reality, a a very sad reality um, that breaks my heart is that, obviously, not obviously, but it seems like the economy, the quote-unquote economy, is is going to be on a downturn. And a lot of people are going to be out of work. And, like... Desperate times call for desperate measures, and I, I, to me, I think that would see like a, a rise of of you know litigious nature, and and Canada and United States have different systems, but in the United States, way more. Um, so it's just like someone like, oh, I got injured. I, you know, like people, it's going to be a desperate situation when people are trying to, sh- and and like I see the best in people. I love people, um, but it's just protect yourself legally. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's an important reminder, like, you know, as much as we're in a hurry to serve our students online, I think it's really important to just make that phone call to our insurance companies and and finding resources where we can learn more about what's going to be best for us and our particular needs. I mean, obviously, everyone's doing different things in terms of the online space, particularly right now. And it's just, yeah, I think, like you said, it's just important to make sure that this is something that we're prioritizing. Yes, please do. This episode is brought to you by Be Yogi. If you're in yoga teacher training, a full-time teacher, or a part-time teacher, Be Yogi has the best-rated yoga liability insurance to keep you covered in the event an injury happens. Plus, they cover live streaming sessions between you and your students, which is very helpful as all of our business needs change over the next few weeks. Go to beyogi.com slash mbom to get an exclusive $20 discount. That's beyogi.com slash mbom. And if you're not in the market for yoga insurance, they publish two articles per week about the business of yoga. I'm on their newsletter because of how great the content is. So I definitely recommend you subscribe. If you're a yoga teacher who is uninsured or considering switching providers, I 100% recommend Be Yogi. Again, to get the exclusive $20 off MBOM discount, go to beyogi.com slash MBOM. Now back to the episode. 
And so in terms of just specifically talking about, you know, the the situation we're in right now with the global pandemic and the fact that everyone's kind of taking their business online. Do you have any other, I guess, like legal tips? The uh, the other the the two th- the two biggest areas that have that I've been dealing with in the past, let's say, week or ten days or so, have been around updating wa- waivers of liability, um, and also with media releases. So media releases apply much more to studios who are now um, take you know creating virtual studios and are filming their instructors and investing all of this money in building online content. And and normally, again, three weeks ago, we never would have discussed media releases really because it, it was so less relevant. But what's happening is um, studios are are paying for their teachers to be you know they're filming them, they're recording them, they're investing money. They're like okay. These all these they're they're focusing their energy and their time on on building online content. But you have to remember that if you are using someone's image or video or likeness, um, you need their permission to do so, and they need to sign something. Otherwise, it can be revocable, which means like they can take that permission back. So maybe the day you shot them, they're like, "Yeah, go ahead and do this," and and they thought it might only be you're only going to use it for you know that class for my. Tuesday, 7.30 yin. That's the only time it's going to be used. But now they can say, oh, you're actually repurposing it and you're selling the classes individually. I don't want to be a part of this. Or they will say, give me X more dollars for this. Um, So just remember when it comes to media, when it comes to using film or capturing someone on film or photos or anything, you always need people's permission um, and you want them to sign away their rights. The same way that with a waiver of of uh, liability, um, someone is signing away their rights. When someone signs a media release, they're releasing you from any responsibility from using their image. Um, so that's one thing. And, and on the same, the other side of that same coin, it has to do with intellectual property ownership. So when you, if you're making a video of someone and you record them and they're part of it, and let's say they're a contractor and not an employee, they have at law, they have rights in that intellectual property ownership. So if you then go and you record someone and then you start selling it and let's say it becomes viral and whatever, however many people are buying it, even if it doesn't become viral, if it's just sellable and it's creating revenue at law, that's their, their part owners in that property. And as such, they can come back and say, even if you paid them the normal rate for a yoga class, they can come back and say, Oh, actually it's selling really, really well. And I'm the owner of it. So now you have to give me 30, 35%. You have to give me 40% of everything that it's making. So I've just been like speaking with a lot of studio owners and making sure that as they're investing all of this money in um, recording and uh, and content, so much content to get the media release and to get um, the intellectual property ownership organized. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so that is with the teachers as well as the students. So even if somebody's filming using like the speaker view only on Zoom and none of their students pop up, they should still make sure that they've got that agreement with their teachers. Uh, Sorry, what's the relationship? Uh, Like if the teachers are teaching for the studio, should they still make sure and they're recording for like their online library, they still want to make sure that they have like the teacher's permission. That's the intellectual property side of things, right? Yes. Well, 
it's the re the relationship. It's not really with the end user. It's not with the the class participants because the class participant is they're purchasing. They're paying for a product, right? Mm -hmm. The 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 intellectual property rights has to do with but it's between the teacher and the studio. Okay. So if you're if you're listening and you're a teacher, the issue you want to make sure of is okay. Here, let's do this. Let's say you're the teacher and you work at a studio and they're filming you. Question one: Are you going to want to use that content in other ways? Right? Maybe oh, I've got this beautifully professionally filmed thing, and I want to build my yoga business, so I want to go off and be able to share this on my Facebook, or I want to share it with whoever I want to do, or I want to do volunteer yoga and share this with at-risk communities. All of that stuff is great. You have to make sure, like, okay, I'm letting them film me now, but am I signing away my rights? Do I own this any longer? Have, have I signed something that gives away my ability to use this material as I want? And then if you're the studio owner and you're investing in shoot in recording this content of someone, the same thing. Like, do you have the right to enforce someone from not using it, right? Let's say you're a studio owner, you're paying a teacher the normal rate you would normally pay them. You're investing for a professional videographer to be there and an editor and all of these things. You want to communicate with the teacher, like, just so you know, like, we're using this, we own this, we are paying you for this. Like, you're not allowed to use this with anyone else. And that's, for me, my whole approach to law is like, I use documents to promote conversation between parties. Because I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that absolutely answers my question. Because I think that this is probably a conversation that maybe a lot of studio owners haven't thought to have with their teachers, just because we don't think about this during our regular classes, right? Like, because it's not getting recorded. And I think that it's definitely important to have those conversations and just recognize like who, you know, whose intellectual property is it? Can they use it for other things? Can they not use it for other things? Are you guys clear on that? And I think, you know, your very first point and tip was communication. And I think that's the biggest thing is having conversations and making sure that both parties are clear about what's going on is important. And I know that right now it's like, there's a lot of urgency happening. And I think it's just a reminder that amongst the urgency to get our stuff online and to serve our students, we just need to make sure that we've got our ducks in the row on the business side as well. 100%. And then was there any other kind of online things that people need to be aware of, especially right now? An another, another online thing just to be aware of has to do with um, on online agreements mm -hmm. and whether or not they're binding for people to click, I agree, or for someone to electronically sign. Um, and the answer is that yes, they they certainly are binding. And the reminder for everyone is like, if you are using an agreement, make sure that it expressly states that someone is allowed to sign the agreement electronically or agree to it by clicking "I agree." Like it's just, it's always an added, but it's always like just added protection to make sure that's there. But otherwise, um, the the only other area this dives into how it can do with privacy policies. Um, so basically how a privacy policy works and, and what it's about, um, anytime you are collecting someone's personal information, you at law, there is an obligation that you are telling them how you use that information. So as an example, you have a newsletter sign up and now everyone's going to be doing more and more things with, you know, different business funnels and whatever. Um, just making sure that as you, as you start using new third party providers, um, and you're collecting information from people that you have a privacy policy that is compliant with the rules. But that's at, at this point, all of my focus in the past while has been around media releases and updating waivers. 
But I think privacy policies is also important. And then again, if you have an agreement that someone is agreeing to electronically, making sure you have something that explicitly states that. But off the top of my head, that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's really just what I see. Okay. And so with the privacy policies and the agreements, do we need to be modifying them if we're moving our business online? Is that something we need to just be making sure that it's it's clearly stated in there? Is that kind of what you're referring to? With the privacy policy, privacy policies are the same. So hopefully you should have one. I mean, it's like the privacy policy is different than the other areas of law because mm-hmm. it just has to do with compliance. We're either in the United States or in Canada, they have certain rules that are like, okay, if you collect someone's name, email address, address, phone number, whatever it is, like there are certain things that you are obligated at law to do to let people know how you use that information. Do you sell it to third parties? Do you use cookies on your website? Um, right. All of these sort of things. So all I'm saying is that in the event that now the way that your business is operating has changed and maybe you're collecting either more or different personal information than you were before, um, you should be updating your privacy policy to reflect that. Or for example, if you're working with a, a different or new third party, like let's say you're now working with, um, I don't know, let's say Stripe and you weren't working with Stripe before, you want to list, and this is, this is super technical, um, and I think normally if we weren't talking about online, we wouldn't really discuss this, but you, you just want to make sure that your privacy policy lists all the third parties that you have on your website, um, just in the spirit of transparency and compliance. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I will definitely need to make sure that mine is <laughs> up to date, although I don't think a lot has changed since my business was online before, but it's it's a good reminder. I mean, these are things that... I just think in like day-to-day operations, at least for me, and I think I speak for most people that are probably listening, like it's just not something that I think about. Um, insurance and waivers are definitely more on my mind than you know privacy policies and, and that sort of thing. So that's a good reminder for sure. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is like of, of everything that I, that I wrote about in the book and all of the, like there's still, there's still a lot of, I mean, the law is like an ocean, right? It's just, it's massive. And, and of that ocean, like yoga law is like an absolute tiny minuscule part, but even of that minuscule part, like the other things that I, that I always work with are like teacher training agreements and how many times I've had to defend clients who operate a teacher training where something happens, they want to kick someone out, um, things like that. As a studio, the distinction between a contractor and employee and what the implications of that are and making sure that you're compliant either with the CRA or the IRS. So um, yeah, there, 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 there's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff about the law. But I think for today and for the practical changes that have taken place in the past week, like making sure you're fit to practice online and that you're fully covered um, is a great start. Okay. Awesome. That sounds good. And if somebody's kind of curious about diving deeper, obviously your book is a great resource. I'll make sure that there's a link for that so that people can get it on Amazon if they want to dive deeper in this. Do you have any other recommendations for resources or or other things that you kind of refer to that really help to to sort of it's like understand this a little bit more? There's a lot of mixed information out there. Um, so if you're trying to understand the law more, this is, this is actually what I would say to you. If you're like, I really want to understand the law more, I would say read, 
and go to a library. But this is the other thing I would say. It's like, this is a part of the business that it's pretty complex. It's a little bit technical. And like in the same way that I don't spend any time doing accounting stuff with my accountants, like I would say, focus on what, what I always say to my clients is like, cool, you, you need, you need, you need this. I know exactly what you need. I've got hundreds of clients exactly like you. I've got, I've got hundreds. I've got a lot. I've been through all of these things before. Um, you focus on growing your business and like you focus on coming up with great content and like, yeah, and you'll have the legal support. So it's, I guess that's a bit of an unsatisfying answer, but if someone's really committed, I would say you could read and study and, you know, Google the issues and make sure that you're using a reputable source for all of, for anything that you're researching. But ultimately like, yeah, if, if you're, if you're super curious, um, research is always a healthy thing to do. And then in addition to that, if you just, if you accept that it's something that you're not really interested in, um, then focus your energy on something that serves you and your business and your passion. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's a good, a good recommendation. Like I think that one of the best business recommendations I've ever been given is to focus on the things that I'm good at and and hire out the other things. And I feel the same way about (laughs) accounting and bookkeeping as you do. (laughs) Why do I have to do this? This is annoying. (laughs) You know, it's better for me to pay somebody who is passionate about making sure that everything's 100% accurate as the government needs it than for me to try and do it blindly with the little information that I know about it. And I'm curious, like, so if somebody out there is listening, is like, okay, this is a big like eye opener. I definitely need to hire somebody. Do you have any recommendations for finding somebody who is going to serve your business well within like your area? I would I would say do the research. I would say do do research on whoever you think. If there's someone who you've who you've worked with or someone you look up to who has a business, you could ask them for the recommendations. Um, we the the way that we've built our legal practice is that we we've drafted all of the agreements that yoga professional needs according to general legal legal practices. And through all of the experiences I've gone through with my clients um, and in doing that. Um, and then, and then what I've done is I've, I've paid lawyers in various jurisdictions to sort of like edit and jurisdictionize the, the various agreements. Um, and, and what I've noticed from that is like, firstly, yoga law is not, it's not a general mainstream type practice thing. So it would be difficult to find someone in your particular jurisdiction, but, but, but I hope there is someone out there for you. Um, and, and then, yeah. And I think, yeah, so we're happy to help. What I've noticed is like areas like estate law, family law, real estate law, property law, litigation. Those are things that we stay that we don't practice. Um, and we just focus on health and wellness businesses so we're happy to help, but otherwise I would say choose a friend who has a great business, ask them for local advice um, and see what they come up with. And then you always want to make sure you're comfortable with whoever you're working with. So before if in before working with a lawyer, you know, I think checking out a website helps, but also just ask them for five minutes on the phone and catch their vibe and see if they understand your business and what yoga is about. And that's I think that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I love that. I think that making sure that you're kind of on the same page with somebody that's going to help you with the legal side of your business is really important. And just so that people are clear with your practice with um, the Yoga Council, do you guys practice just with people in Canada and the US or do you help people all over the world? 
we've done we've done australia japan hong kong a little bit in europe nothing in africa yet and then united states uh canada and still i've yet i still have yet to have my first brazilian client but i'm okay with that just because <laughs> those areas of law are are so different and obviously commonwealth we do we did have a couple clients in the uk um because common common law is is all more similar to each other so um if you're in yeah and so that's about how it works and the last thing i want to say is other other than thank you for having me is let's just do a book giveaway for someone who listens to the podcast so i don't know it can either be on social media or something but i'm happy to give a book away to um to someone okay sounds good let's uh we can figure out what the rules for that will be and I can put it in the the outro and then, yeah, that sounds awesome. And if people want to learn cool. more about you or maybe reach out, where can they go to find you? Um, our The website that we have up is yogalegal.com. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram. The name is Conscious Counsel. I'm sure I, I can send it to you. You can put it in the notes or just my email, which is Corey at consciouscounsel.ca. And just reach out. Um, I'm happy to answer quick questions and be of support. On Facebook, my name is Conscious Corey. And uh, I'm usually on FBook chat, just like answering questions from clients in there. So feel free to add me, say what's up. If you've got a quick question, I'm happy to make time for you. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Corey, and all your information. No worries. I'm happy that nobody rang the doorbell during this conversation. And nobody called either. Thank God. <laughs> All right. I hope that everyone enjoyed that episode of the podcast with Corey Sterling from Conscious Counsel. He is so awesome and he's got just a wealth of knowledge. And I think that my big takeaways were to make sure that waivers are good and that insurance is good. And so I mentioned this on the episode, but I am insured through Arthur J. Gallagher. If you are Canadian, you can actually go through Yoga Alliance to get access to this. And they allow you to teach both online and recorded classes and you just have to send them an email and make sure that you're covered. So like Corey recommended and I second this, make sure you're just reaching out to your insurance provider and making sure that you're covered for whatever you're offering right now. And if they won't cover you for what you need, if you're in Canada, Arthur J. Gallagher is a really good option. And then I also am partnered with B Yogi and B Yogi offers coverage for live online classes and they have the discount for us at bogi.com forward slash MBOM. If you're with any other insurance provider, just make sure you give them a call and double check that you can teach online going forwards without any problems. And if they're not covering you, you can either look for a different insurance provider or perhaps look into the disclaimer that Corey was mentioning. But just make sure that you're checking within your area and within your country or your state or your province to make sure that you've got everything figured out and sorted out. All right. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about before we finish up the episode is the giveaway for the book. So Corey Sterling has generously offered a copy of the yoga law, law book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. So if you would like a chance to get your hands on a copy of this, you can head on over to mbomyoga.com forward slash legal. So mbomyoga.com forward slash legal, and then enter your email address into the draw form that's going to be on the page. And then we will be doing the draw in one week. And from there, I will send you an email to get your address and then the book will be sent to you. 
So if you are not listening to this in real time, the draw is open until Monday, March 30th. So head on over to mbomyoga.com forward slash legal, drop your email address in there. I'll keep track of them all. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them through like a random prize sorter on the internet. I'm not picking and choosing myself. I'm going to do it totally random. And then whoever wins the book, I'll send you an email on March 31st and I'll get Corey to send you a copy of that. So once again, mbomyoga.com forward slash legal to enter your email address in to get a copy of Corey's book. And if you are not so interested in that, but you just want the book and you want it right away and you need it right now for your yoga business, I have put a link for the book in the show notes. So you can just head over, head on over to mbomyoga.com to get that. All right, that's everything. Stay safe, stay healthy, keep doing great work and make sure you keep doing it with compassion for yourself, your students and everyone out there. If you need anything from me or there's any way that I can support your business, please make sure you reach out info at mbmyoga.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Namaste. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of the podcast. To find links, notes, resources, and everything mentioned in today and all episodes of the show, you can head on over to mbomyoga.com. You can find the podcast and myself on Facebook and social media at Mastering the Business of Yoga. And I would love for you to join the private Facebook community, Yoga Business Badasses. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please make sure you reach out to me at info at mbomyoga.com. And last of all, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, please make sure you hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. It would mean the world. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Namaste. Namaste.